Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry, where we get to talk to folks who are building a more humane world from the inside out and through various means. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. And my guest today is a friend of mine in Jefferson City, Missouri, Artie Langston. That's A-R-T-I-E, Langston, L-A-N-G-S-T-O-N, just like Langston Hughes. Hi, Artie. Well, hi, Dick. <laughs> Great to hear your voice today. Uh, we're actually Zooming and recording, so I get to see your face as well. You're looking well. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to be here with you today. Yes. Well, I, I remember, actually, I, I saw you on stage over at Lincoln University, where we both were teaching uh, for a time. And you were playing, I think, maybe, I don't know, a ukulele in some program, maybe that Ruth Robertson had or somebody. And I, I didn't know who you were. And then we you showed up at the uh, Ukulele Fight Club or something, and there, I think we had an official introduction. And you're a world-renowned <laughs> musician and composer, though. I, a little jewel here in uh, Jefferson City. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, yeah, that was an interesting circumstance. Uh, what you saw was the senior recital of my prized cello student at Lincoln, Akacha. Akacha, by the way, is now very gainfully employed as a music educator. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, in the public schools, I think in the St. Louis area, and she's doing quite well. The circumstances were, I picked up the uke as kind of a ther therapy after I had heart surgery, and uh, we uh, decided on her recital, she also wanted to play tuba because she played tuba in the band, in the uh, Marching Blue Tiger Band. So we decided that we would do a song by Taj Mahal, by okay. the great blues artist Taj Mahal. Mm -hmm. And we decided to do uh, Fish and Blues. Hmm. So she played tuba and I sang and, and played the uke. So that was kind of beyond my official capacity <laughs> at Lincoln, where I was actually supposed to be, well, was the instructor of string music. I taught the uh, string class for the music ed folks and uh, bass and cello at, mm -hmm. uh, at Lincoln. Which is part of your repertoire, because you also do play tuba and uh uh, I don't know what else you play, but probably many things. Uh, professionally, I've, I've basically been a, a bassist and a, a cellist, and I've also played tuba. I've worked with people like Paul Simon and Taj Mahal a few hmm. times over the years. But uh, And with the Dukes of Dixieland, I wouldn't consider myself a first-rank professional tuba player like some of my sim symphony friends, but... Uh, I enjoy the instrument, and I used to play quite a bit. Well, we actually have been on stage together when uh, Capital City Productions did Cabaret. 
Yes. Yeah, that was, oh, that was a wonderful production. Oh, great memories. What a powerful show that was. And you oh, were up. Yeah, and, and, and Rob, Rob Krause's direction with the uh, visuals, with the mm -hmm. projection, was really powerful. It was just a, a wonderful production. And the leads were just, Margaret was just, in particular, was just fantastic. Yes, Margaret Graham. What did you play in cabaret? Were you playing bass then, or were you on a different? Yeah, I was. I was playing playing bass way back up there on in the rafters. Yeah, great show. Well, I see that you have a website or two that people can find you on. Uh, I'm looking at one called Bass Ace. That's b a s s a c e dot com, and then you say there's one called Artie Langston dot com. Yeah, um, and then they both lead to the same website. Okay, great. What do you compose when when it says you're a composer? Are you individual songs uh, or the music to words, or how, how, what do you compose? Well, I've, I've done a lot of different things. I started out actually as a composition major at the Central Missouri State University back in the dawn of time when dinosaurs still stalked the earth. Oh, uh, I remember seeing you back there. <laughs> I, I was a uh, student of one of Roger Sessions' finest pupils, Dr. Bolin, Dr. Donald Bolin, who has gone on to become quite a well-known contemporary composer hmm. and I've done a lot of things over the years I've done everything from string quartets to radio and TV commercials and things like that uh, I have a sample of a composition oh cool off my solo CD if you'd like to hear it well let's give it a run let's see how it comes through and this is called King Zulu Zulu is the traditional uh, African-American carnival crew in New Orleans at Mardi Gras. And uh, it started out as a wicked satire <laughs> of, of, of the rich people's Mardi Gras celebration oh. by uh, working, working class people, African-American people in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. and they have a wonderful Mardi Gras tradition with uh, the, the Mardi Gras Indians who spend all year creating incredible outfits with uh, peacock feathers, uh, glass beads, embroidery, uh, just fantastic. I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners have, have seen that and are familiar with the Mardi Gras Indian tradition. Anyway, this is called King Zulu. King Zulu is a parody of, of Rex, who is the uh, white rich people's <laughs> uh, king of carnival at New oh. Orleans Mardi Gras. So here's a little bit of King Zulu. This is features Tony Horowitz on trumpet, and this is my composition.
So my next question then was, uh, where would you play a composition like that, Artie? Well, I, this was my solo CD, and I brought in uh, uh, Tony Horowitz, who was like the number was like the number two, or sometimes the number one trumpet player in Hollywood. Hmm. Did all sorts of motion pictures, uh, all sorts of television shows. I'm sure people's heard Tony uh, Tony's trumpet mm-hmm. on the bumper music, the Cheers, and other uh, well-known TV shows and. He's done a lot of motion pictures, and he was also with Louis Prima when he was young. He was kind of Louis Prima's protege. Oh. Uh, and that's Bobby Schiff on piano. Bobby is one of the top uh, studio musicians in Chicago, and I flew them into Branson. <laughs> wow. And at the Digitrax, uh, which is an excellent studio, a beautiful European Steinway Grand Piano. And we recorded that drummerless uh, jazz trio mm-hmm. at Digitrax, and it just came out wonderfully. I was so pleased with it. So you call it a drummerless jazz trio. Is that because drums are typically with the jazz trio? We, we probably typically have drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just decided that this would be kind of like a nice uh, chamber music sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, to do it without drums. It wasn't any particular prejudice to get drummers. It, right. It was just we wanted to do something that wasn't just you know typical and run of the mill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might like to explain a little bit about my connection with the city of New Orleans. Awesome. Which mm-hmm. Plays a big part in my life and in my personal history. Mm-hmm. When we mentioned I was in school at Warrensburg, and I was already chafing a little bit at. at at, at the uh, uh, small town Warrensburg. And some of my hippie friends and I went down to the folk festival at Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's always a lot of people jamming and having fun. And of course, I had my, my big bass with me. Mm. And I bumped into a young lady named Lucinda Williams, who has now become a big time really big time Grammy award winning uh, singer songwriter. Yes. Uh-huh. And so we became fast friends. She came back to Warrensburg with us. And for the next six months or so, uh, we were kind of inseparable. And we played at a, uh, a local coffee house mm-hmm. and practiced just incessantly and just had a ball. Hmm. And she decided finally it was time to move on and she went to New Orleans. Ah. And she was playing in a folk music club called Andy's. And at this time, of course, there was nothing but snail mail mm-hmm. and nothing but letters and postcards. Well, there so was a I telephone. Was, you, you still had telephones there was a back telephone, then. <laughs> but she didn't have a telephone and neither did I. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I was holed up in our, our hippie house in Montserrat, Missouri, was with other music majors, mm. and we couldn't afford a telephone. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly nothing like you know today's uh, wireless service existed in any way, shape, or form. Right. Unless you work for the CIA or something, I guess. But at any rate. Uh, I kept getting postcards, you know, Artie, you've got to come down to New Orleans and play with me. Hmm. Uh-huh. And I kept getting these postcards. So 
Another band I was on the road with that summer sort of crashed and burned. It was it was kind of like Spinal Tap. Our our drummers kept uh, succumbing to spontaneous combustion. Wow. Maybe not quite that bad, but for some reason they couldn't stay. They kept you know getting other gigs or leaving, and so the whole band just finally kind of uh, discombobulated. Mm-hmm. It was a fun summer though because I made a lifelong friend, Arnold Young, who's just a wonderful drummer. He's a Kansas City musician. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I kept getting these postcards, so I thought, why not? So I loaded up some few clothes in my bases, and uh, I headed for New Orleans. I had hardly been out of the state of Missouri, except for this little excursion on the road with that rock band this summer. Mm-hmm. And I got to New Orleans, and she had left. Oh my! She had moved on to San Francisco. Oh my! So I was 18 years old. I was in a strange city where I had never been before and had almost no money and barely had change to uh, call my family and let them know I was okay. And so I didn't know what to do. So I went to that bar where she'd been playing, you know, trying to see if I could get some more information. And uh, the lady who was tending bar said, uh, can you sing? And I said, well, you know, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, well, uh, why, don't, why don't you get up there and, uh, and play and sing? And I said, well, you know, I play the bass fiddle. She said, well, that's okay. She says, we're trying to get tourists in here off of Bourbon Street. This place was right next to the Father's Mustache on Bourbon. So I just started singing various uh, standards and blues songs that I knew. And lo and behold, a lot of the New Orleans musicians on their way to work were sticking their head in the door and the word started circulating around Bourbon Street. There's this crazy kid down at the folk music place. He's just up there with nothing but a bass and he's just singing and playing by himself. And about that time, an older musician named uh, Eddie Edmondson came in and he felt sorry for me and he sat down at the piano and we started playing together. And I started to develop sort of a reputation and lo and behold, I started making some friends and I made lifelong friends, some of whom I still have to this day. Uh, Some of the older folks have passed away sadly, but I still have uh, friends I made in uh, in New Orleans and you, so I uh, you probably got a little uh, money did you probably get I a, got little... a little money <laughs> I got enough money to head to San Francisco oh and follow Lucinda and follow Lucinda yeah, yeah. well I got to Luc- San Francisco and Lucinda had gone to Austin <laughs> and so the same thing happened and I met another uh, person Scotty Hill bless his heart, who's no longer with us. And we formed the French Market Jazz Band in San Francisco.
we had the the wonderful drummer with us, uh, Smokey Johnson. You just a legend, hmm. and he was just hanging out in San Francisco because he'd met a girl that he liked there. <laughs> uh, Smokey's on all the great recordings with Professor Longhair and just anybody. It's Stevie Wonder, just almost anyone you can mention. getting to play with Mike Bloomfield for a few jobs. So I was just on the cusp of rock and roll fame. Yeah. And unfortunately, Mike's uh, habit uh, caused a lot of disruption. And uh, eventually I wound up going uh, back to Missouri because I was had to avoid the draft. Ah. Because at that time, the Vietnam War was really heated up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would have been a, a perfect candidate if my student deferment mm -hmm. had lapsed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wound up this time going to Kansas City mm -hmm. and playing with the PDI Trio, which was a wonderful opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the top musical groups in Kansas City at the time. And we worked six nights a week at different places. And wow. so I was making, you know, big time grown up money. Because <laughs> the other guys in the band, they had houses and families, and you know, we were all getting paid the same because it was union. Job. Oh wow! I uh -huh. was in the Kansas City local, mm -hmm. and so, uh, so that was my introduction to real professional music. When I was in college, before all this happened, before you go on, Artie, okay. we need to take a break and let people know who you are. On KOPN today, listening to Glocal News and Social Artistry, I'm the host, Dick Dalton, and my guest today is the famous and infamous Artie uh, Langston, A-R-T-I-E Langston, professional bass player, cellist, composer, teacher, and I might even say a practicing Buddhist, but I'm not positive about that. Yes, uh, that's absolutely correct. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I, I won't deny it. <laughs> <laughs> but you were uh, you were talking about coming back to Missouri from uh, first New Orleans uh, and then San Francisco and now Kansas City. But, you know, I never did find out what your hometown in Missouri is. I grew up in Jefferson City. Oh, my goodness. This is your hometown, Jefferson City. Yes, it is. And I wanted to play the bass ever since I was little. I was a little on the on the small side to play the bass when I was 
you know, in, in second and third grade when the sure. string program started up. And they tried to foist the viola on me. Mm. And I rebelled. And eventually, uh, I decided I wanted to play the bass with the uh, jazz band, uh, with the stage band. Uh-huh. And I had not been in the band program. Oh. And so I talked to the band director. I think at that time it was George Cisco, the year before Mr. Hoover arrived. And he said, yeah, take a tuba home and see if you can learn to play that thing. And so I took this old fiberglass sousaphone home and, and sort of, you know, mastered it enough that I could, you know, play decently and mm -hmm. play with the band. So when the rehearsals, the band practices started up in the fall, I just magically appeared and all these kids were, who'd been in the band since they were in fifth or sixth grade, were just kind of flabbergasted, like, what's, what's this guy doing here, you know? Because <laughs> they knew I wasn't a transfer student, and they thought, how did, how did he wind up in the band just appearing, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I made friends with all the, the, my fellow tuba players, and uh, we were all pretty tight, and we had a lot of fun together. And uh, that made me eligible to be in the stage band because oh. I was in the, in the band program. Okay. Everybody had to play something in the, in the marching bands as well. So in the stage band, did you play bass? I played upright and electric bass, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. And then uh, after that first year or so, Oh, I had been started on the bass by a wonderful bass player named Jim Hackman, who who went on to be become a, a wonderful professional bassist in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And uh, my freshman year at Warrensburg, I didn't mention this, I had a chance to go out with uh, a Betty DeFranco in the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my first big-time professional music job. Mm-hmm. I've been playing lots of local weddings and different things, but mm -hmm. that was my first taste of riding on a bus <laughs> across the country. Wow. I think uh, Christmas Eve, I think we played the uh, Playboy Club in Rochester, New York. Oh, my. And that's, and that's controversial, too, because, you know, I hope I consider myself, you know, supportive of, of feminism. And, but Playboy was awful good <laughs> Oh, <laughs> because you know they they hired a lot of professional music and. So, what year did you graduate high school? Just for our local listening audience. Back in 1970. Oh well, you're just a youngster then. I, I thought maybe we were about the same age. I graduated '62, you see. So I'm. Ah. Uh, I'm your senior here, so just just checking, you know, uh, it's hard to know. I'll, I'll try to show the proper respect for my <laughs> <elders>. <laughs> <clears throat> Yes, okay, so you're back in Missouri after New Orleans and uh, San Francisco. You're with a band in, in Kansas City. Where did we go from there? Well, then a miracle happened. Uh, they instituted the lottery. And I no longer had to worry about my student deferment. And I had developed a habit where, I don't know if habit's the right word, I had made friends with a great bass player named Walter Booker, who played with the Cannonball Adderley Quintet. Hmm. And uh, 
Walter took me on as a student, I would follow the Cannonball Adderley group around the Midwest. Sometimes Walter would let me, you know, sleep on the floor in his room, you know, because he, of course, I would say free accommodations. <laughs> and I would study, I would take lessons, sometimes three, four hour lessons with Walter. And mm. then that night I'd go hear Cannonball play and learn everything I could possibly learn from what we talked about that day. Mm -hmm. He would show me things like on the bandstand. I don't mean they'd stop playing and he'd talk to me. I mean, he would be subtly demonstrating things we talked about. We'd make eye contact and he'd say, wow. yeah, see here, mm -hmm. see here, this is what I'm doing. You know? Yeah. And uh, so I got to meet, uh, you know, not only Cannonball and that, but Roy McCurdy and George Duke and Hal Galper and different people. Uh, with mm -hmm. Cannonball Adderley. What an amazing education. And, and much to my shock, Walter made me play for Cannonball and uh, get critiqued. Mm -hmm. And so um, I forget what I played. I think I played uh, uh, I've Got a Bad and Anything Good or something like that. And, and <laughs> Cannonball, you know, talked about lyricism and my phrasing and stuff and mm -hmm. at any rate at one time um cannonball said he said you know boy he said you ought to be heard he said i'll tell you a secret he said there will always be universities they will always be glad to take your money if you have a chance to play go out and do it he said why are you going to college and I said, well, I want to be a musician. <laughs> he said, are you getting paid to play music? I said, yeah, all the time. He says, well, you're already a musician. <laughs> you don't need the piece of paper. Right. That's that's an edification. <laughs> that's to edify yourself. Cannonball had a wonderful vocabulary. He says, that's to edify yourself. He said, while you're young and you have the opportunity, go out and play. You know, you don't, you don't need to be sitting around in some classroom. Yeah. And I played a little of my classical stuff for him, and he said, you know, uh, he said, yeah, you could, you know, probably make an audition in a lot of symphony orchestras. because I didn't have to worry about the student deferment anymore. Mm -hmm. And I went back to New Orleans, and I just had the time of my life. I found a, the gentleman who had been so kind to me uh, when I first came to town, Eddie Edmondson, the piano player, had passed away, sadly. Oh. And the gentleman who owned that little club, uh, a gentleman named Jim Monahan, he actually had started a new club called Easy Eddie's oh. in his honor. Hmm. 
and this, there was a wonderful sign out front had a character of, of Eddie playing the piano. And it became a hot spot for all the musicians after they got out, off work. Oh, and cool. And you met all sorts of people. And this is where I started working with my, my friend and mentor, a guy who's really my musical father, uh, Snookum Russell. It was a great territory band leader. Uh, we can listen to some of his music. the territory band in the 30s and he'd later uh, fell in love and and settled in New Orleans and he had some incredible musicians when they were younger he gave Ray Brown the, the Oscar Peterson's great bassist he gave him his first job the bebop legend uh, Fats Navarro and JJ Johnson the trombone player they were uh, young proteges of his in his territory band. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I fell into a wonderful situation there. And Snookum just loved me and loved my playing. Uh -huh. And it was just uh, it was just terrific. I got to play during the last year of his life with the great Louis Louis Jordan. Fantastic opportunity. trumpet player that played uh, lead trumpet with Count Basie for well over a decade oh. uh, was Ray Charles music director <laughs> so just a wonderful wonderful opportunity mm -hmm. and after uh, Lewis uh, sadly passed away I was with Lewis about a year and then I went with the Dukes of Dixieland and you know played all over the world with them wow. and had a quite a fabulous time and all sorts of people came in. Uh, sometimes they were 
celebrities who were appearing at the Blue Room in New Orleans. And one night, a gentleman came in named Alan Toussaint, uh, who is a legendary songwriter hmm. and composer and uh, studio artist. And he and Alan Seahorn had a group, had a uh, studio in town called Sea Saint. And Alan sat in and really liked my playing. And he started hiring me to do a lot of the upright work. And so just occasionally electric. I'm on the very first Popeye's chicken commercial radio <laughs> spot. Uh, but I did a lot of other things at the Sea Saint studio. Uh, in fact, later on, uh, this was sometimes later in the uh, early 90s, but Paul McCartney actually recorded at that studio. So it was a very prominent, famous studio. Uh, the Meters recorded a lot of their things there. And uh, so that was just one of the wonderful experiences I had there. And then occasionally I'd go back to San Francisco and work. And uh, it was also the occasion of my first trip to New York City. A gentleman came in uh, whose name is Jimmy Merritt. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Merritt was the bass player uh, with Art Blakey, most famously, but also with uh, Lee Morgan. And I didn't know this at the time. I hadn't even heard it yet. But the reason why Jimmy was in New Orleans working with a piano trio at the Mont Leon Hotel was because Lee Morgan had just been shot and killed Ooh. by his girlfriend. Oh, and so Jimmy was out of work, and that's why he was there. And he later <laughs> rejoined Art Blakey, and because he rejoined Art Blakey, the folks heard me play that Jimmy was working with, and liked me so much they took me back to New York with them. Oh wow! So I had my first New York experience, and. Uh, had accommodations and a food stipend and everything else. Mm -hmm. It was really quite wonderful. At least I didn't go and starve like a lot of young people <laughs> do on their first trip to the city. Wow. But it was wonderful because I heard so much great music mm -hmm. and uh, had a gig to play in front of New York audiences and make an account of myself was a good confidence booster and a a great life experience so after that it was just kind of one thing after another i was just you know people like perry como mm -hmm. we did uh, a couple of things the one that kind of sticks out is springtime in san francisco hmm. with perry como and cheryl ladd oh and mm -hmm. i'll oh, let's see i also did some network television stuff in new orleans uh i'm in some of the music for the uh pretty baby which was uh, uh, Susan Sarandon and Brooke Shields. That was Brooke Shields' first movie. I've done some other television and movie stuff over the years. So you have these genres uh, we call uh, jazz and blues and uh, classical. Are you more at home with one or the other? I think I'm probably more at home with jazz and, and, and classical music. I really enjoy, you know, stretching out and playing, you know, blues and, and rock and roll sometimes and stuff. But the thing is, those some of those pop styles change so fast, and uh, it's really hard to keep up <laughs> with uh, what's going on all the time. My electric bass playing is 
proficient uh, to an extent, but uh, my stylistic stuff probably kind of terminates uh, with James Taylor and Carol King and, and so forth, uh, back when I did a lot more studio work. How did you get back to Jeff City Lincoln University? In the 80s, I came back and helped to help take care of my grandmother. Okay. My family's done a whole lot for me over the years. They've been very, very supportive. Mm-hmm. And I really felt an obligation to, to pitch in. I came back in the 80s, and I sort of followed the advice the Cannonball had given me. I completed my bachelor's at the University of Missouri, and then I went on and got my uh, master's at Webster University, which just has a fantastic jazz studies program. Mm -hmm. Made some wonderful friends there as well. Mm -hmm. And then following that, then I did some touring. I went to Japan a bunch of times. I went to Europe a bunch of times. And then I wound up uh, going to Austin, Texas. And I was kind of recruited to be the jazz bass instructor at uh, UT Austin. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was there, the idea was that uh, I got free tuition and did ah. uh, doctoral work. I also taught the history of American music and music appreciation. And I taught, uh, it, it was the last gasp <laughs> before the kids had to take traditional European uh, classical music appreciation. So my mm-hmm. class was very popular. Oh. I had 300 kids in that class. Oh my. And of course you have to keep them from cheating. So I'd mix up the multiple choice, but it's a difficult situation because you got 300 kids, suppose half of them ask a 10 second question. That pretty much takes up the whole, the whole class period. Mm-hmm. So I did my very best to do a lot of live demonstrations of the music. And, mm-hmm. and fortunately, Austin is such a musically rich environment. I was able to bring in some fantastic blues players and oh. some fantastic jazz players. And I hope it made some type of an impression that may be imparted, mm-hmm. at least a general appreciation of music that maybe the kids don't, wouldn't have naturally listened to, which is kind of what you want the college experience to be. I'm back. My Aunt Margaret is 93 now, and she's doing quite well, but I wanted her to stay in her own home. I wanted her to be very well cared for, and at this point, we're just about all that's left. Uh, Uh, The other brothers and sisters have passed away, and hmm. uh, I'm kind of it. So that's why I'm here, basically, is to to make sure that she uh, 
as the best possible environment and best possible care. Well, that's uh, making a more humane world right there. Just uh, beautiful, a beautiful thing to do. Uh, you thank do you. what you can where you are. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've certainly been around town here. Have you played with the symphony? I, I know you've certainly played with these different uh, musicals that we've had at our different theater productions. I have not. Uh, I have actually gone back to St. Louis and played a number of times uh, for my connections at Webster. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've actually been, you know, back to New Orleans a few times. And, oh, good. And been to Europe on a number of occasions and played in Europe. Oh, wow. Great, great. So you're keeping your toe in the uh, in the big pool of uh, professionalism as, as best as i can as as much as the virus and my own aging process will allow me right well let me once again tell our listeners uh, thank you folks for tuning into kopn today and this show is global news in social artistry this is where we talk to folks, a different person each week, uh, who's building a more humane world, probably like you are, uh, whether you're driving now or you're uh, getting ready for supper, whatever might be going on. But uh, I think most of the listeners are also working, uh, doing their best to, to make this world a better place for all of us to get along. And uh, my guest today, Artie Langston, who you can find uh, on the web at R.T. Langston, that's A-R-T-I-E-L-A-N-G-S-T-O-N.com. You can see Artie's resume, his new CD, books, music links, inc info. He's a professional and a very heartful fellow. Uh, tell us a little bit about your connection with the uh, Buddhist Center in Jeff City. How did that come about? Well, I began practicing in uh, 1974. Ah. And uh, I have been studying not just Buddhism, but uh, philosophy and religion in general mm -hmm. for quite some time. Mm -hmm. I always had an interest. Mm -hmm. And I just chose Buddhism as a, as a pragmatic philosophy mm -hmm. that's very adaptable to mm -hmm. personal beliefs. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's not a rigid ideology in which you are confined mm -hmm. and you're free to explore all sorts of other uh, philosophies and religions mm -hmm. as well. Some people uh, actually, there's some controversy if Buddhism is actually a religion or if it's a philosophy of life. And uh, meditation in particular, well, meditation and yoga have both been very beneficial to me mm -hmm. over the years. So that would be your practice, as we would say, meditation and uh, yoga, although the philosophy infuses your everyday behavior and uh, your thoughts. So I guess you could even say the philosophy becomes a practice in the way you view the world. Well, you know, I uh, when I was in San Francisco, mm -hmm. I studied at the Ali Akbar Khan School of Music. 
Okay. And uh, I studied Indian classical music, Indian traditional classical music for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And it was really beneficial, I think, to both my musical understanding and my professional life. I really got a lot out of it. It was a wonderful experience. I also studied uh, Japanese music with Mr. Masumi Koga, who's a shakuhachi master. The shakuhachi flute would not seem to have a lot in common with the double bass or the cello. However, uh, one of the reasons why the violin is prominent in modern Indian classical music is because all these instruments that have no frets are capable of uh, producing microtones. We can yeah. play all the little funny notes in between the notes, <laughs> which is what, you know, blues and rock and roll guitar players do when they bend the strings and, mm -hmm. and what blues uh, harp players do on the harmonica when they use their uh, breath to bend the reeds and change the pitch. Uh, this is what the blue note is, the famous blue note in blues music. It's that funny little crack right in between the fourth and the fifth that harks back to African music and is actually kind of a microtone. It's, it doesn't quite fit traditional Western music. You hear these bends and inflections, both in people's singing voices and, you know, with the harmonica and the mm -hmm. guitar. I never knew that. Thank you for that. Uh, did you know Alfonso uh, over at Lincoln when he was here for... Uh as vice president for a short time? You know, I did not, regrettably. My tenure got cut short because I actually had my heart attack at Lincoln uh, right in Dr. Govan's office. Oh, my goodness. And I was out of action for a while, and then, of course, the, after that, they discontinued the department. So I didn't get to stay at Lincoln too long, but it was... A, Made some really nice friends, wonderful experience. I love my kids. I love the students. And and didn't you say early on today that uh, you started playing the ukulele part as, as therapy for? Yeah, your, yeah, mm -hmm. because it was so light, I could pick it up. Mm -hmm. I uh, played a couple of jobs about six weeks after I had my surgery, and I was able to sit in the chair, and people had to bring my base over and put it in my arms and then take it from me and put it on the stand <laughs> after the set because I couldn't physically you know, sure. pick it up. It, it weighed too much. And you have a, a studio there in your home? I have a home studio that I love to work in. We've done a couple of CDs with uh, uh, Monty Edwards and Bruce Hibbett. We call it the Buddha Loka Orchestra. It basically Buddhist folk rock. Wow. And, uh, I also do a bunch of work. People send me stuff. I've got a few folks I work with in Chicago and New York, uh, a couple of people in LA. They send me stuff and I put the bass tracks on here. Mm -hmm. Like me to play bass or cello or electric bass, they'll send me the, the tracks and I'll add them here and then send them back. Sure. And they'll master them there. Wonderful. So you said Buddha Loka. Wait, there's some stuff on YouTube. My solo CD is also on YouTube. Okay. And you can just search for Artie Langston, and, and you'll get uh, 
some of my exploits with Jim uh, Russell and, and some other people. We just have a few minutes left. How would you like to sum up your situation and uh, any final thoughts and words for the audience today? Well, just be kind to one another. If you can't be kind, at least don't hurt other people. Mm -hmm. And that's the famous quote by. His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and I think I can't emphasize that enough. If you can't be kind, just don't hurt other people. Is that the way you said it? Yeah, that's the least you can do is to not harm other people. Yeah, yeah. But be kind no matter what, if you're able. Mm -hmm. You're all able in any way. And that would include being kind to yourself. Indeed. You need to show the same concern and kindness and empathy for yourself as you would for others. Wonderful. Artie Langston, this has been a, a cool opportunity to get your history and get a little bit on how you're working today, how your health is today. You look marvelous and looking forward to seeing you around town. Well, same here, Dick. Got another show coming up real soon, Disenchanted. Ah, Disenchanted over at Capital City Productions. Yeah, it's, that's it's a it's a very witty look. By the way, this is a show for grown ups. It is not a children's show. It's it's 
a very witty, satirical look at the whole Disney princess phenomena. Oh. And uh, maybe the unrealistic expectations that that might be placed on young women if they try to emulate uh, a Disney princess. Okay, so it has uh, a bunch of women in the show. It's all women in the show except for the band. And uh, when does that happen? That's going to happen the second week of September, and folks can go to the uh, Facebook or the Internet home of Capital City Productions, and they can find out how to get tickets, and they can see Mm -hmm. who's in the show and find out more about it. But it's a lot of fun. And it's just really hilarious. It's in no way mean-spirited, but it really pokes fun at uh, the whole idea that uh, that young women should just be waiting around for a prince to come and rescue them. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the various characters that our actresses are portraying, the different Disney princesses, are finding that happily ever after is not exactly what they probably envisioned. <laughs> okay. They need, to, they need to kind of be a little personally stronger and not just depend upon a prince to rescue them. That'll be ccpjc.org for those of you that might be interested in Disenchanted. Uh, down in Jefferson City at uh, Capital City Productions. That show will have a live band with Artie Langston uh, as part of that. And it's a, a more for adult uh, entertainment, 18 and above. Okay. There's absolutely nothing obscene or improper about the show, but it's just kind of blunt about the. Uh, you know, there, there's probably a time in their lives when little girls don't want to be told about the D- Disney princesses <laughs> any more than you'd want to disabuse them about the existence of Santa Claus. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's a show for grown-ups in, in that regard. Okay, very good. Great, Excellent. Artie. Excellent. Uh, I'll just say, uh, see you there. All righty, we sure hope so. All right. Okay. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I'm sure glad we decided to do this. Oh, me too. I mean, memory lanes are important. And uh, I think young people need to know, uh, as well as old folks, uh, you know, it's been a journey for people to get where they are. And it it isn't always a straight line. And friends, remember, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. So please... Leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. So take care. Talk to you soon.